Y'all, it's here. It's finally here. I have officially launched my first ever online store and I am so excited that I just might burst. ShopCoachKaya.com is officially live and ready for you to explore. I have put together a collection of goodies to help you find joy in your journey of creating a healthy life that you love. Inside the shop, you're going to find things like water bottles, journals, stickers, graphic tees, jewelry, and so much more. These products are really a reflection of who I am as a person. They're motivational, bright, and a little bit ranchy. And the other exciting thing is that all of these designs were almost exclusively watercolor illustrated by yours truly. It has been so much fun to tap back into my creative side and create these products with you all in mind to share a little bit of joy for you to bring home to yourself. I'd love for you to go and check out the store, but before you do, I want to share a special little discount code for my listeners. If you use the code CLIMB10 at checkout at shopcoachkayat.com, you will receive 10% off your first order. Happy shopping! Hello, friends, and welcome back to the show. I am just so grateful and honored to have you here to spend a little bit of time with me and some really incredible people that I'm excited to introduce you to in your earbuds this week. It really, truly means the world. Now, I am very excited for my conversation today, and the reason is because I don't know if I've ever met someone with the same vibrant spirit and infectious enthusiasm for life as the incredible human being that is Rhonda Beeman. She radiates joy and sunshine, leaving every room brighter than she found it. And it is a true joy to know her and a true honor to introduce you to her here today on the podcast. Now, I wanted to bring Rhonda on during this season, especially because I think that her energy for life and her ability to tap into her childlike spirit is something that I think we could really all channel right now through the holidays and honestly, all year long. I think you're going to love this conversation with the incredible Rhonda Beeman. Hello there, beautiful friend. I'm your host, Kaya, a cattle rancher turned accidental life coach after embarking on my own health journey, losing over 100 pounds, but most importantly, rebuilding my relationship with myself. Now I am more on fire than ever to empower others to create a healthy life that they love from the inside out by sharing the tools, tips, and strategies that I've learned and continue to learn along the way mindset, health, body image, self-love, entrepreneurship, and more. We're here to chat about climbing the mountains of life all while finding joy in the journey. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Now let's get climbing. Now, before I bring Rhonda on, I want to give you just a brief introduction to her, her contributions to the world. Dr. Rhonda Beeman is an internationally recognized expert on leadership, resilience, fitness, education, and life coaching, just to name a few. She is a national award-winning educator and professor at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, an international TEDx speaker, an award-winning author, founder and executive director of her own nonprofit called Dream Maker Slow, which is a nonprofit foundation granting final wishes to financially challenged, terminally ill adults. She's also the chief creative officer for the global research and solution firm Peak Learning Incorporated, and she serves on the board of directors for the Pay It Forward Foundation. And friends, that is only scratching the surface. She is a powerhouse and far more noteworthy, I think, than her accomplishments, though, is her love for life and people, some of which we are lucky enough to have share her story with us today. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast, Rhonda. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So you got my mother's letter about my achievements. <laughs> yes, she sent it in. Okay. Okay. Thanks, mom. 
<laughs> Rhonda, honestly, you know, it's so cool getting to look at what you've accomplished. And and like I said, I really think it's it's more of the what you've contributed to the world. It's incredible. And and I'm not kidding when I say to you all that this is just scratching the surface. She has had such an incredible life. She has created such an incredible legacy. But I'm curious, Rhonda, this is the letter, right, that if your mom were to send it to me, it'd probably sound like this. But I want to know, to get us kind of warmed up here, in your own words, how would you describe yourself or how would you introduce yourself to this community? Oh, wow. Um, this is why we have mothers. So <laughs> you do that yourself. Um, honestly, uh, that's such a great question because I think it's a lifelong question because every epoch of your life, there's a different answer to it. And so they're asking me right now at the tail end of 2021, what the definition that I've been working on and thinking through has to do with wintering. And it's a, you know, I read this really great book about the cycles of life um, and that we think life is linear but it, it isn't. It's, it's not one slow, steady, you know, slog to death. It's all these cycles that you get renewed by, just like the earth does. And so I'm in the winter right now and thinking about how I want to look at my own third act and how I want to be as an elder and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but I think that underlying all of that would be that I'm happy and blessed. I'm just happy and blessed. I don't do anything I don't want to do. I never have. Um, that, that might be construed as pig-headed or, or arrogant, I, but I don't mean it that way. I just mean all the things that I've done in my life, I wanted to do. And even the things that were really hard, I came out better on the other end of it. So I'm just happy and blessed. I love that. What a beautiful response. There's so many things that you even mentioned in that that I feel like we could dig into and talk about all day. And I love the way that you described it as cycles and and how um, there's ups and downs and it's, and it's not linear. And I think so many of us, we have this idea in our mind that it's supposed to be. And so when we come up against hardships in our lives or difficulties, or maybe we're in the downward part of that cycle, we get discouraged, we give up, we think it means something about us or what we can accomplish. And I know, you know, I listed off all these incredible accomplishments and of course, I didn't list off. I'm sure that you've had all these failures, right? Because with accomplishments yeah. has to be a lot of failures. Like 10 to 1, Kaya. Right, right? <laughs> it's, always, it's always pretty though on the outside. You see like, wow, look at all the great things she's done. And I think it'd be so helpful for us to also be able to look at successful people and see their stack of failures. So I guess my question for you, because I know you've been successful, which means I also know that you failed a ton. And that's mm -hmm. incredible and powerful. <laughs> but in those seasons, I guess in the cycles or when you've come up against the hardships in your life, what has helped you get through the other side? Like, what would you say someone right now who feels like they are on that downward trajectory and they feel like giving up? What would you say to them to encourage them? Well, again, we, just that question alone, right? Two or three hours, we could go at it about that. But when I was uh, young, I had a, you know, what people call a difficult parents. I had difficult parents. But you don't know it when you're a little kid. This is what you got. This was your lottery and this is what you got. And they love you and you love them. And it's not till you kind of grow up and look back and go, oh, holy cow. Or you hear other you hear other people talk about their parents. You're like, what? And you realize, oh, well, no wonder I'm a little this or a lot of that or whatever the case may be. 
And I think that I remember being six years old and looking around me. My parents were 17 when they had me. And I remember looking around going, this is, this is not going to work for me because they don't even see me. They don't even, you know, uh, you know, da, 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 nothing. Um, and I just was one of those really lucky people that was born with um, a spirit that wanted to shine and be out there. And like, I can't even imagine being embarrassed about having to give a speech, you know, to teach public speaking to executives and to college students. And I think, wow. So some, sometimes you're just born wanting to do these things. I was. So that part wasn't hard. What was hard was getting over the early seeds that are planted that you're nothing, that you're not mm. talented, that you're not pretty, that you're not, not, not. And that's a lifelong uh, struggle. And I would say that a lot of the things that I've attempted in life have been because people to overcome that. And I think it's the nastiest, meanest, darkest moments in your life that you have to decide for yourself. Do I move forward and through and up or do I let life beat me down? Do I, let, okay, here's the one I can't take anymore. Here's the thing I can't try anymore. And I would say to anyone listening to this podcast, here's the deal. Life doesn't care if you give up. It just doesn't care. It keeps rolling without you. And you're the one that has to care. Your parents aren't going to care. Your partners aren't going to care. You have to care. And if you know that this is one chance, one opportunity, as Eminem sings, you know, you get one moment um, in your life, one day at a time to live the kind of life that you want, you better to get out of bed, you better pull yourself up and you better get out there because you never know when the tide's going to turn. You never know when you're going to get that big break or meet that new person or eat that incredible meal or whatever. It, all the things, the abundance that life offers you, but you have to put yourself out there. This is your one shot. Mm. So good. You know, I've watched some of your TED Talk videos and I, I'll make sure to link them in the show notes for anybody that wants to go and watch them. I highly rec recommend them. I've watched them multiple times. They are that good. And one of the things you talk about is you say you don't have that kind of time right? We waste so None much of us. time. None of us. Yeah. None of us do, right? We waste so much time doubting ourselves and questioning ourselves and listening to either the voices in our head or the voices around us because there's lots of voices that are maybe discouraging us from doing what we want to do or taking the chance or taking the risk. But sitting in that heartbreak and that regret is just so much time wasted. Wasted. And you know, nothing brings that home to you. Like, so you mentioned the um, nonprofit that I started called Dream Makers. You know, you see these people who, I mean, we're all one phone call away from bad news. All mm -hmm. of us, one phone call it could drive you to your knees. And when you have all these things that you thought you'd have time to do, or someday you would, you know, be able, we always go someday when I, you know, uh-uh, uh-uh, because you don't know. And I would think that the hardest thing, there's a, okay, I'm going to get real professorial here on you. Dostoevsky wrote a book, you know, and he called the Ilian, Ilian Ilavinci, what, you know, something Russian. But <laughs> the guy was dying and he turned to his wife and said, I've lived the wrong life. That has got to be the saddest 
story for any of us, right? To look back with regret. So the trick is, you know, will I regret if I don't take this opportunity? Will I regret if I don't move there? Will I regret if I stay with this person who's, you know, not not good for me? Will I regret? And if you can answer that, honestly, inside yourself, stop seeking advice from everybody else. What about you? What What do you think? If you can't live with that regret, then you've got to do that thing. There are There's no big choice to this stuff, right? So yeah, none of us have the kind of time we think we're gonna have, none of us. And your brain is incapable of understanding your mortality. I think it's like a gift from whatever you believe your creator to be. That is a gift that he, she, they gave you, that you your brain cannot conceive of the world without you in it. It's your soul that has to do it. Your brain's like a puppy that does what your soul tells it to do. Mm-hmm. And so if you're telling your brain, you know, I've got a, I've got a big life to live, your brain's going to follow suit. If you tell your brain, I can't do this, it's too much for me, your brain's going to say, you can't do it, it's too much for you. So you have to program this, this you know, human operating system, and that's your spirit, that's your soul, that's your desire, um, that's your energy. And it's, you know, even if you don't discover it until the last part of your life, at least you discover it. But yeah, none of us, Kaya, none of us have the kind of time we think we're going to have. And it goes fast and you think everyone's mortal but me. I think I'm going to escape this. I'm going to like, I'm going to escape it. I'm the special one that's not going to leave this planet. No, sorry. Right. So I think that that's a huge driving force for me is I don't want to have regret I realize it's all short. I've had a lot of cl- close calls in my life. And, you know, I don't want to look back and go, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. Oh, so you had mentioned earlier that you are in this wintering. You said you're trying to think about what you want to do with your elder years. Now, I really, I'm excited to ask you this question because one of the things that people in my community say all the time, and it's interesting because it's it's women of all ages, but I would say women that are, you know, even past 40, but but past 50, for sure, I feel like I hear them say a lot, it's too late or I'm too old when it takes, when it comes to maybe, you know, taking care of their health or or maybe pursuing their dreams, starting something new, starting a business or or whatever that thing is that they always wanted to do. There is this narrative of it's too late or I'm too old. And I know you have something to say about that. <laughs> Well, again, I want to reinforce the idea that your brain is just a puppy waiting for you to tell it what to do. And if you say you're too old or too this or too, you're right. You know, you're right. If you say you're going to fail, you're right. But, you know, I would like everyone listening to this to think about my friend Pearl, who um, went back. She had always wanted an undergraduate degree, never had a chance to do it, had six kids, you know, the whole bit. And I was talking to her and she was like 80 and she's saying, I really want to do this. And I'm like, well, why are you not doing it? Well, I'm 80. I'm too old. And I'm like, she goes, I wouldn't even finish till I was 84 or 85. I said, you're going to be 84 or 85 anyway. You might as well be 84 with a college degree. She's like, oh, uh, I never thought of it that way. You know, so it, it it's up to you again. I mean, that's what my sister had a really, really, really tough life. And she said, you know, I just, I feel like I'm boxed in. I feel like I'm trapped. And I 
I'm her big sister. You can't help people that much when you're their big sister. But I just said, well, untrap yourself. Get out of the box. And people don't think it's that simple, but in, you know it's that simple. Look what you did. You just decided one day, that's it. I'm going to change my whole physiology, my whole health, all of it, one day at a time. And you did it. And that's what I think. If I could build this life, and it's been a really happy, blessed life, like I said, if I could build it from where I came to where I am now, my brother's state, federal, prison, penitentiary, drug use, my sister, alcoholic. If I can get out of that and build that, I'm no superhuman. I'm no superhero. I just wanted more. And you have to want more for yourself. And sitting around going, I'm too old. That's just an excuse because you're afraid. Mm -hmm. You're afraid. You don't want to maybe fail. You don't want to put yourself out there. But I would be more afraid of not living my best life, not living everything that I believe I could do or was put here to do. That's what you ought to be afraid of. So just remember pearl, pearls of wisdom. And you're going to be, you know, 80, 85 anyway. You might as well get the things done that you've always dreamed of doing. I love that. And I I just, you know, I think that we we get so caught up in this victim mentality and these stories that we tell ourselves. And really the only thing getting in our way for the most part is ourselves, our mind, our, our mindset. That's always, that's always the thing. It's always the stories we're telling on ourselves. And I feel like when we make that realization, it's scary because it's up to us, but it's also the most freeing feeling ever because it's never too late. You're never too old. I mean, look at Jane Goodall as what, 90? And she's still out in the jungle with the gorillas and stuff. Come on, people. Right? I also love, um, you know, because my husband's from Kentucky, and so I also like to always bring up the Colonel Sanders example. I think he was in his mid-60s when he started Kentucky Fried Chicken. So it's never too old, right? Absolutely. And then here to part two on the Colonel Sanders thing, Colonel Sanders then goes around to every restaurant asking if they'd like to carry his chicken and they're like, no, we have our own chicken. Yeah, but mine's special. No, okay, no. Something like 79 restaurants turned him down. And it was the, you know, next restaurant. The one when, see, this is the thing about life. Just when it's about to turn the corner, just when it's about to get better, most people go, I, I, I'm done. If they had hung on one or two more times, and he sold his chicken to this restaurant and the rest is history, right? It was that restaurant that started sp spreading the news about his chicken and then he franchised and on and on and on. It's like Stephen King, something like 112, you know, submissions of his first novel, Carrie, and everyone's saying no, no, 112 no's. And he just kept at it and he was living in a trailer and you need one yes and boom, the whole thing changed, right? So yeah. yeah. It's not that it's not working, but it just might not be working yet. It's yes. yet. Yet is such a great word to add to anything. I agree. You know? <laughs> so Rhonda, in one of your talks, you talked about how you want to define old in a different way. Yes. You were going to make old stand for something new. Can we talk about that? What is your definition sure. of old? Sure. Well, um, you and I have had a little talk about this. There's a great science called neoteny that almost no one knows about. Um, have you ever noticed they keep really good news away from us? I don't know. 
I that is. <laughs> I just guess you're not going to sell as many pills or, you know, whatever. But um, neoteny quite literally is translated as growing young, grow young. Um, you know, the word neonatal, um, it comes from that new, new, neo. And neoteny is the science that shows that we have one of the slowest developments of anyone in, of any creature on our planet takes us forever because our brain is so big to be out on our own. You know, you've seen colts get up within the hour and start, you know, baby elephants are next after us because they've got really very complex brains. So it takes a while to grow those brains. Neoteny says that we grow old because of socialized opinions of what we should do. You're over 40. Why is your hair that long? You shouldn't wear long hair. You're middle aged. You know, um, I start my. I, I wrote a book called "You're Only Young Twice," and I think one of the first lines is, "If you're 36 as a guy or 37 as a female, you're middle aged." And people are like, "What?" Because the you know how long you're going to live. The the statistics at the time um, were 72, 74. You know, it's since gone up by about five years. But okay, that means. Um, if you're 41, you're, you're half finished, you're half finished. And um, so I, you know, studied this and, and got all kinds of, you know, excited about it because what it says is all these childlike characteristics that you're born with, you know, the get down, fall down, get back up, the uh, wonder of why the sky is blue, the the way you can be transfixed by music, all of it that we're those are those are our original birthday gifts. That that's what nature gives you right off the bat, and then life kind of beats it out of you if you let it. And so the book is all about how to reawaken some of those you know birthday gifts that we're given. But um, so I wanted to define old as your outlook. Oh, you know how you look at the world. Are you expecting good things? Are you, do you turn on NPR in the morning? Don't do it. Turn <laughs> it off. That'll make you old before breakfast. Just listen to all that <laughs> bad news. Um, you know, how do you, what's the lens with, you know, like you were just saying, people say I'm too old. That's the wrong, that's the wrong lens. That is the wrong lens. Change it. Um, so your outlook on life, your language, L O L your language. I can't jump out of an airplane. Um, did you watch former President Bush on his, what it, was it, 90th birthday parachute out of an airplane? Come on. Um, if you say it, it becomes real. Your brain hears you saying it. Your language is really, really important. And then D, drives. You know, what's going to get you up in the morning? They did a study at Deloitte, the accounting firm Deloitte, um, because they make their top level people retire at 62. And they did a study that if you don't have something else going on besides, oh good, I can golf every day. If you don't have something that where you're contributing, where people are expecting and needing you to be there, those guys, and mostly they were men, died within two years. Wow. Two years. And their health was fine at 62. But Hey, the private jets are gone. The people, you know, calling you sir are gone. The, the, your clients are gone. What do I do? And it doesn't matter how much you love your spouse. It doesn't matter 
But if you've got no reason to get up in the morning, your your whole physiology begins to change. So um, the, the drives, the things, and that's why, you know, volunteering, singing with a, you know, choir at your church, whatever it might be, where people need you to be there and expecting you to be there and you want to be there. That's so important. So that's how I defined old was outlook, language, and drives. I love that. And I think it's so important that we change, we change the narrative. You know, you had talked about how we're born. These are our birthday gifts, right? This like childlike wonder um, of the world. What do you, when do you think it starts happening that that goes away or that that's beaten out of us or taught out of us? Well, that's a great question, Kaya. They've done studies that show when you're about five or six, your creativity rated by certain standards of how they rate creativity is off the charts. They can't even measure it. You know, I mean, there's just nothing you can't do, think of, be, all that kind of stuff. By fourth grade, by fourth grade, it has taken a precipitous dip to below normal standards. And that's sad enough, but it never returns. It Ooh. never returns to the height at which we had it. So school, uh, sit in the street, you know, raise your hand, sit in a straight line. You're talking out of turn, you know, that no, please, no questions. Mm-mm, wait, why did you draw, draw a rocket when I told everyone to draw a tree? You know, all that stuff. I think that's when it starts for most people except those really weird ones. And we thought they were weird that would go, ah, because I want to draw a rocket. You can't make me draw a tree. And you're, everybody's like, what? <laughs> and then you go, you, you get sent to the principal's office, right? I mean, but there were those rare people that, you know, old souls that are going, you're not, you're not the boss of me. I always envied those people because I, you know, I was always by the teacher's desk. My last name starts with B. So I was always up front. And at first I hated it, but now I like it. But um, yeah, so I think it starts really early. And there's somewhere along the line that, again, you know, you are the captain of your own destiny. You have to decide, um, I'm not going to play by these rules anymore. I'm not going to let them, you know, beat me up and beat me down really hard. And, you know, I have a coaching practice that's filled with executives who can't tell anyone how afraid they are, how lonely they are, how uh, imposter-like they feel, all this kind of stuff, because they're the leaders. And, you know, somehow the world has told them it's not okay to be human. It's not okay to have frailties and all that kind of stuff. Talk about a way for sure to squelch any creativity or energy or excitement you know, put you in a thing like this that says, this is how you have to be and lead, or it's not going to work. If you knew who was running most of our, most of our companies, you'd be like, how does anything get done? Well, it gets done by the people, it's done by the people who are still, you can't tell me how to draw and people learn how to manage them. But yeah, long way, long winded way of saying it starts really young, unfortunately. That's kind of heartbreaking. I mean, it's very heartbreaking. Fourth grade, that is, it's so young. And I feel like, I don't know, you know, knowing that, how do we, how do we change that? How do we change the legacy? How do we encourage or foster this creativity instead of create a system that squashes it right when, right when it's getting good? You've got to do it at home. So it's like when my kids were little and I, like I took 
one of them to school and his and I he'd been having trouble in school um, sitting down and paying attention and all that kind of stuff and the teacher said you know we don't have time for people like Sean Sean is really smart and really creative and and so he's up here and then we have kids that wow nothing's happening and then we have everybody in the middle and our job is to bring every bring them up and bring Sean down so that everyone's mm -hmm. average that that that's mm -hmm. our job so you need to like to, you know get him enrolled in drama school or whatever and i remember just thinking what but then if you look at the public school system i mean they can't they can't be everything to everybody so mm -hmm. the creativity um, you probably uh, read in my bio, our family was chosen as America's most creative family. But that all happened because of stuff we did at home. Is it easy? No. Is any of this easy? No. But you've got to, get, again, decide how you want to define yourself and your family and your life. And so we did a bunch of crazy, fun stuff at home that was fun for everyone, including the parents. Um, because again, they're on loan to you. They're not going to be there very long. So mm -hmm. let's make it fun. Let's make it, you know, fa fantastic. Yeah. And I just think a lot of people don't have the energy for this stuff. And that goes back to the really stupendous thing you have done in your life to reframe who you want to be and how you want to move in this planet and how you want to feel, how good you want to feel. And I think a lot of people walk around not feeling great, not mm -hmm. eating great, not sleeping great. And so now you tell me I've got to do creative things with my kids when I come home. God, uh, you know, uh, and it's like you said, there's just so much involved in how this all happens. And, um, you know, so it's not fair to pin it all on schools and it's not fair to pin it all on parents. It's it's an amalgam of a lot of things, I think. Yeah. I love that. You know, I, I really believe after, you know, doing all this own self-work over the past few years and now having the opportunity to help coach other women, I truly believe that the way that we change the world, the way that we heal the world is by healing ourselves first. And I think especially for women, and I, I think especially for parents, I'm not a parent yet, but I think some of us don't do that because we have this narrative that society told us that spending time and energy on ourselves was selfish. It was taking away from our kids. It was taking away from our work. It was taking away from our community, from our household. And so I think that we're all just kind of trying to survive and do all the things. And we forget that in order for us to do well or care for the people and causes we care about, we have to care for ourselves first, right? Yeah. You can't, remember, everybody would tell you, you can't give love if you don't feel, you know, if you don't love yourself. Yeah. It's the very same thing, right? And it's such a good point because you, you have to give yourself permission to put yourself at the head of, you know, what they say on airplanes is so, I think, germane to what you're talking about. They say, you know, put your air mask on first, you know, so your psychological air, put it on first so that you can, you know, have what you need to save everybody else. If you don't do that, you're absolutely right. It's not going to happen. Or you're going to, you know, start resenting 
Mm-hmm. You know, feeling like a martyr. Nothing's less attractive than someone who feels like a martyr. Yes, I made your dinner and I, you know, created a skit for you and I, I did all these things for you and now you're leaving me. Okay, wait a minute. Not fun, not cool, right? So yeah, that psychological air mask, you've got to put that on first. Great, great point. So Rhonda, I'm curious, that being said, you do a lot. You serve your community a lot. You have like a thousand different hats, or I guess I should say shoes that you wear. We can talk about your new book too. Um, but you you have a lot of different roles and you give so much to the people and causes you care about. So I got to ask you personally, how do you fill your own cup to make sure that you have the energy to do all the things that that bring you joy in the way you serve others? Well, again, in all fairness, to go back to our original uh, first question and discussion, I've really been blessed with a lot of energy. I've always had a lot of energy. So, and I know, I know not everyone's like that, but in addition to that, you know, I work out, I eat right, I sleep well. I'm so tired by the time I go to bed. Everybody's like, oh, I'm having such trouble sleeping ever since, you know, I turned 45, I can't sleep. And I'm like, they're going, what about you? And I'm like, I don't want to lie, but I get up at four in the morning and I, 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 I go all day until 10 when by 10, <laughs> I'll be out of it. So I sleep great. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually an introvert. No one believes me, but I'm actually an introvert. So I'm a site specific extrovert. So I know when to turn it on. I know how to do that. But what really juices me is my time alone, reading. I'm a copious reader, uh, walking by myself and just thinking things through quiet really, you know, does it for me just sitting in, in quiet. And I, I was just talking to a, a young woman the other day who's writing a, a book about this. She has given herself, she has two small children. She's given herself two hours a day that no one can talk to her or she gets to go do dancing on the mountaintop, whatever she wants to do for two hours a day. And she says, changed her whole entire life. Um, And I think everybody in some respect needs that time. That's just theirs, whether it's, you know, Oprah does baths, bath. She's a big bathtub person with just soaks in the tub by herself. And, and I mean, you talk about somebody who's giving all the time to everybody She's got that ritual once a day, if not twice. Sometimes she'll take it twice a day, depending on what the day is like. So you find these things that feed that soul and spirit. I used to tell my students, and this is true, I would, you know, so like I have four, three, four hundred people in a class. You know, so there's a there's a lot. Just one of those things is there's a lot coming at you. And I would tell them, um, I take my car out to the woods. It sounds creepy, but I take my car out in the woods and I sit with People Magazine and eat a Butterfinger candy bar. <laughs> and they were like, what? I'm like, it just feels so decadent and so like <laughs> spoiling. And then I stopped telling that story because at the end of the semester, everybody would give me People Magazines and, and those candy bars. So I have like... <laughs> hundreds of candy bars at the end I would make myself eat them which is not a good thing so um but so everybody's is going to be different but it's you know be your own Santa Claus talking about the holiday season be your own Hanukkah Harry be your own 
best gift giver and it's not things it's time and space mm. and what you like most lunch with a friend mm. um those kind of things go a long long way i love that be your own santa claus that's so good <laughs> tis the season the holidays are here and maybe you're feeling so excited and looking forward to all of the joy and connection and family and bonding but maybe you're also feeling a little anxious or worried about it too? Listen, there's no denying that the holidays add more demands to our time, our finances, our emotions across the board. But do we really need to continue riding this emotional holiday roller coaster year after year? Friends, I have something that I think you're going to love to help you survive, maybe even thrive this holiday season. I have put together a holiday survival guide. And inside of this survival guide, you're going to find a workbook to help you set some healthy boundaries. But maybe even more helpful than that, you're going to find a library of videos, short pep talks that you need in the moments you need them most. Maybe your uncle keeps talking about politics at the dinner table, or your aunt won't stop commenting about her new diet or how much weight you've gained or lost or your food choices. Or maybe you just need a moment to relax and breathe for yourself. In this holiday survival guide, you're going to find the pep talks you need for the moments that you need them so that you can not only survive the holidays, but thrive through them. Visit coachkaya.com to check out my free holiday survival guide so that you can make more space for joy this holiday season. To talk a little bit about, you know, this this idea of neoteny and this idea of of staying old as you or staying young as you get older. You know, I feel like the holiday season, you know, everyone has a different feeling about it. And I feel like for me, I hear this mix, this mix of emotions around the holidays, right? Like, of course, it's it's supposed to be this joyous time of family and celebration and gift giving and tradition and the lights. And, you know, there's so much joy wrapped up in it. But I think along with that, there is this this, especially when we get older, we have more responsibilities and there's these obligations and there's more stress on our time, on our finances, on our mental health. And I guess my question for you is how can we, I guess, use a little bit, bit of this neoteny? How can we tap back into our childlike wonder so that we can kind of create more joy during the holidays? Do you have any ideas yeah, for that? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I, First, I want to remind everybody of the skit that I saw on Saturday Night Live one year when Dana Carvey was still on the show. And he's standing by the punch bowl. This is my favorite, one of my favorite skits ever, because he's standing by the punch bowl in his Christmas sweater and he's holding his cup of punch and he's going, I'm doing fine. Please go away. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm like, that's so what most family Christmases are like. Just so um, I, you know, I think that's why people have children. I think that's one of the number one reasons people have children is they relive their own childhood mm, because mm -hmm. the world won't let them do it. So they, you know, on Christmas morning and it's so exciting because you're doing it for someone else. And that, so let's say that your children are grown or you don't have children. You've decided not to have children. Well, then how do you catch the spirit? Go do something for someone else. Ooh, um, when good. we do, yeah, when we do those dreams, um, there's not, first of all, you know, that it's incredible to be a part of someone's last dream on this earth. First of all, it's an honor and it's humbling, but when you're part of it, you, 
it's just like anything when you give you get so much more back and that's that's what happens and so the magic of the season i remember when my boys were real little and we would make cookies for everybody and i'd pull them in the red wagon and we'd go deliver these cookies down our street most of the people didn't know us or whatever and we'd give you know our old clothes to goodwill and we'd talk about why we're doing this at this time of year or whatever the case may be um, to the bell ringer at the grocery store for St. Vincent's, always what change do we have? So when they're old enough to understand Christmas, <laughs> I'll never forget this as long as I live. I said, well, you're, we're going to go see Santa. It was the first time we were going to go sit on Santa's lap. And I said, and you get to tell him what you want for Christmas. And my oldest son, which was who's probably like four at the time, goes, we get something? Oh. I know. I'm like, see, it just makes me cry just thinking of it because that's that's about as good as it gets, right? Mm -hmm. So if you enter a season, whatever season it is, thinking I get something, I would. I, I thought I was just gonna be giving. Then you're gonna be a okay during the season. You're gonna you're gonna have the eyes of a child during the season. So. I love that. Oh, that's so good. Oh, killed me. I'll never forget it. It kills you now. I can tell. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit more about your dream maker slow tell me a little bit more about the organization, but after you do that, I, I want you to tell me what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from the individuals you've had the honor of working with at that last piece of their life? Cause I'm sure that there's so much to be learned from those. Yeah. Oof. Um, well, what we do, we're, I like to just tell everyone we're a bunch of good friends trying to do good things. That, that's how this started. And so I gathered about uh, 10 of my best buddies and we sat at a coffee house and I gave them this big idea that I had heard of in um, Santa Barbara. There's an actual and nationally known um, dream foundation. And they showed a video of a guy who was dying of brain cancer and he wanted to dance with his daughter at Disneyland. And they were showing this video and they were at Disneyland and there was no one else there. They had let them be the only ones there in front of the castle. And the dad had a tux on a tuxedo and there was a band playing and he and his daughter were dancing. And I'm like, oh. and then they said he wanted it all videotaped so she, she could have a dance with her dad on her wedding. So I turned to my friend and said, we have to do this. We have to do this at our, in our community. And that's how it got started. So I got these 10 people. We threw in 100 bucks a piece. That was our first operating budget. And uh, we have one of the leading oncologists in town who nominates people. And so far, we've, we've only really been actually doing this for about three and a half, four years. And we've already made 33 dreams come true. Wow. Um, and you have to have less than a year to live. You are 18 or above. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty daunting and special. And uh, just two weeks ago, 30-year-old woman with a 10-month-old baby has colon cancer and wanted to renew her vows. And so uh, we got a beautiful venue, Riata Ranch in Santa Margarita, donated their venue and everything and and gave her a wedding baxter mormon this beautiful jewelry store here in our town donated earrings beautiful gold earrings so that 
Um, she could wear them on the day, but then she's going to have her daughter's ears pierced and she'll have those earrings the rest of her life, remembering her mom, you know, so stuff like that. And I think that, you know, you can itemize the things that you learn from this, but you know, you just really, it really reinforces one thing. And that's, we're all in this together, you know, Buckminster Fuller, who invented the geodesic dome said, you know, we're all on this spaceship together. These are, these are the people on your spaceship while you're here. And, you know, just to treat them with as much kindness and respect. And yeah, I think that that's the most important thing is we're all fragile and we're all, we're all we've got. And if you can reach out and make someone's life a little easier and a little better, if you've got the bandwidth to do that, you should do that. And if everyone did that, we wouldn't have the problems that we have at all, you know, and it's not that hard to do. Gosh, what a, uh, man, I was like losing it over here. It's really hard. <laughs> that is, um, gosh, what a special thing to establish here in this community. And I feel like, you know, I've heard of I think maybe all of us have heard of Make-A-Wish um, Foundation, and I feel like it's so special to be able to do this for people that are older, that can't afford to have that last that last dream. And I think, I can't remember who I heard this from, but someone had shared with me how when they looked back on people's lives, or when it was someone that had worked in a, an old folks home, and or people were talking about, I think it was actually Brene Brown that was talking about this. When they talked to people that were at the end of their life, when they looked back and thought about what matters to them most, a lot of times it was the little things. It was the small moments, the everyday things that were the most important. Nobody has ever asked for, you know, what they really want is an experience with people they love. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, they don't want like, you know, could you give me $10,000 cash? Yeah. Nobody asks for that kind of stuff. They want, you know, uh, um, they want to go to a, you know, baseball game with their son. They want to, you know, stuff like that. So, and I think that that's such a, a timely thing for us. Sorry, I'm like emotional about this too. <laughs> um, I think it's just so timely for this time of year because I think that we also put all of our pressure on this. You know, if you're a parent, you want to give your kids the most magical year. You want to get them the best gifts. You want to have the best holiday play setting. You want to, you know, you feel like you have to do all this lavish things and especially living in this, you know, Pinterest and Instagram filtered world, we have this picture of what we think the holidays are supposed to look like. But I think, you know, when you look back at your own, you know, childhood memories, the best memories, it was never about the stuff. And I think sometimes we make it, we think it's, we get distracted and we think it's about the stuff, but it's just about the people. It's about the memories. Yeah. And I, my family for my whole life, my, uh, the family that I created, not the family I came from, but the family that I created always calls me morbido. (laughs) because whenever we would do something, I'd go, boys, look around. This could be the last time we're at Glacier National Park. You never know. (laughs) Mother. (laughs) Morbido. But I'll tell you what, they are now men and fathers themselves. And guess what they do? They make sure. This could be the last time. (laughs) Make sure you you notice what's happening here and who you're with and, you know, what we're getting to do and how special it is because it has nothing to do with the food we packed or the car we drove here in. It's us together standing here looking at this mountain or whatever the case may be, you know. It's almost like it's like active gratitude in a way, you know, because I think so often we we think like oh we could do this again or you know we're all gonna wake up tomorrow we're all gonna 
you know, we have these expectations and we don't realize how special things are until we realize that they aren't here anymore or we won't get them anymore, whether it's people or experiences or opportunities. So I love that. I feel like that's active gratitude. And I think that's so powerful. I love that term. It's much better than morbido. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It's active gratitude. So good. I wanted to ask you too, uh, you know, I feel like people like you and I, Rhonda, I think both of us are, are pretty naturally positive people, natural born dreamers. You know, I think I'm a dreamer almost to a fault sometimes because I can get lost in the clouds a little bit. But some people have a little bit of a harder time dreaming or, you know, like my husband, for example, he considers himself to be more of a realist. And, you know, as someone who is a hopeful dreamer, I say he's a pessimist, right? That's just my perspective. (laughs) But, you know, for some people, I feel like we, they don't have as strong of dreaming muscles. And I think sometimes they have, you know, the stories that they're telling themselves, they think are coming from a place of, you know, being realistic and living in the real world and being rooted in reality versus, you know, this I don't know, whatever this dreamer, this dreamer piece is. Yeah. I guess how do we, you know, we're at, we're getting towards the end of this year and we're getting ready to start a new year, 2022. And this is the time of year, you know, naturally people are setting big goals and resolutions and dreams. And, you know, I'll probably do a whole nother podcast episode about about that. But, you know, thinking ahead for 2022, what would you suggest for people that maybe have a little bit harder time with this dreaming muscle? How can we how can we kind of change that conversation, start shifting that mindset to start believing that more good, great, wonderful things are possible for us? That's another really great question. I just read this really great study that when they ask college students to first answer, so you're sitting in a class at, say, Cal Poly, and they say, why did you pick Cal Poly? And they write these reasons, you know, my brother came here, whatever the case may be. And then the next question was really the research question. The next question was, what would have been different if you hadn't come here? And so then they picture what might they be doing if they had chosen Santa Barbara or uh, didn't go at all, or they start to write about that. Now, here's then they asked, they did a happiness scale before and after. When people pictured the thing being taken away or having not happened, whether that thing was the spouse you chose, the job you chose, the house you chose, whatever it was, if they had you imagine pulling it out of your life, your happiness level actually went up after that because you were you reignited and re, reappreciated what you had. And it helped people understand that it's, you know, that they don't look at the everyday thing like dreams. Like I would say to your pessimistic husband, how the heck was he lucky enough to land you? (laughs) Must have been able to dream big there, baby, because he landed a wonderful woman. How did that happen, Mr. Pessimist? How did you meet her? You know, was it just your lucky stars? Oh, you have lucky stars. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, so I think, uh, I think that that's an interesting, you know, I, I haven't quite formed my opinions of all of that yet, but I just read it like yesterday and it made me, you know, I was thinking about how you extract, you know, how, have you ever met someone whose hu- husband or wife uh, was suddenly fell ill and died unexpectedly or was in a car crash? All of a sudden that person is a saint. And last week when you were talking to him, it was like, they're driving me nuts, <laughs> Right. right. 
Right. So you extract that thing and, and now you appreciate it so much. My students during mm-hmm. COVID who all hated their jobs, I spent six hours a day on phones with my students going, I lost my job and I really loved it. You hated it two weeks ago, right? Yeah. Take it away. So I think by, you know, if we could help people who are not, maybe just even dream a little, take away the things that you are doing and see what that would be like. Sometimes you might even find that there's a better, like if you say, if I never had this house, then maybe I wouldn't have gone back to school. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. Now we're on to something, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, you know, again, still a feeble and new idea, but I think there's mm-hmm. something in there about uh, people who, who there might be a little bit of reticence to dream because you don't want them to not come true because you'd feel so bad. But mm-hmm. there's also something about, how you're looking at your life and again what that lens is that you're looking at and yeah. and maybe think about if you hadn't done that if you hadn't met them if you wouldn't have done what would happen and that could lead you to start doing a little bit of imagining if you mm, wanna, i love that you don't even need to call it dreams if you're afraid to just call it imagining yeah <laughs> Ooh, i love that something so good to ponder you know rhonda this podcast is called climbing with coach kaya because i think all of us are on a journey right and it's not even just one mountain that we're climbing. I feel like we're all climbing through a mountain, series of mountain ranges, right? There's so many mountains and I know you've climbed so many mountains in your past. And I'm curious if you would be open to sharing with us, what is a mountain that you are currently climbing in your life? Well, again, just to bring this full circle from our time together, I, just like anybody, I don't want to, I, I don't want my turn on the planet to end. You know, I, I just like being here. I like being here. I like doing things. I like being of help and service. And it's really the mortality thing is really hard for me. And, you know, I've read these things about the people who are afraid of dying are only afraid they never lived. Well, I'm not sure that that's true. I think, and I'm not afraid of it. I just, I think Woody Allen said it best, you know, I'm not afraid of mortality. I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that's, you know, to, to accept where I am in life. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to be one of those women that I see in Las Vegas all the time where from the back, they look like they're really young because they've got a wig on and a short skirt and tights and everything. And then they turn around and you go, whoa, you know, she's 87. Okay. (laughs) Wow. I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to fully blossom into who and what I was meant to be. Um, full butterfly mode, whatever. Um, but it's hard for me because I do have a young spirit and I do have, you know, um, a lot of things I still want to do. So I'm, that's my next mountain is to do is to climb into that third act gracefully. You know, I used to work for Jane Fonda and at, a, at her fitness thing when she first started it. I was six, <laughs> um, but um, she is a great role model for me because there she is 83 on that Grace and Frankie show. And you can plastic surgery, all the stuff you want, but you can't plastic surgery spirit and memory and posture and, you know, being involved. She's still, you know, she's still fighting for the pipe against the pipeline and, you know, all this kind of great stuff. She's still in the game. And so I'm trying to define that for me. What would be in the game mean? And, and how I will define myself in, in my elderhood. So that's my next one. <laughs> I love that. 
Now, Rhonda, for those people that have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, which I think is going to be everyone, where can they get more of you? I know you've got some really great books. Um, where can people connect with you or learn more from you or, or read some of the incredible things you put out into the world? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, all my books are on Amazon. So you could just go to Amazon under Rhonda Beeman. My last name is spelled B-A-Man. <laughs> so it was my cheerleading poster in high school. Be a man, vote Beeman. Okay, okay. Um, so you can look that up. Also, um, peaklearning.com, P-E-A-K, peaklearning.com talks about our company and what we do. We help people become more resilient and build their AQ, their adversity quotient. We call them climbers, campers, or quitters, Kaya. There's only three kinds of people in the world, right? And uh, yeah, also Rhonda at peaklearning.com is my email. Happy to um, engage with anyone who's a fan of yours. I will be a fan of theirs. Oh, well, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation and I just love how you have shared your spirit and your light with the world in so many incredible ways. You have changed so many lives, including mine, and I'm just so grateful for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. And you're such a good interviewer. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You're a climber, girl. Heck yes, I'm a climber. And um, <laughs> by the way, Rhonda lives on a mountain, so you got to climb to get there. <laughs> <laughs> True story. True story. And for those of you that are listening to this podcast in real time, I hope that you have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we are just sending so much love your way. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please hit subscribe and leave me a review sharing what you loved most. Come hang out with me on Instagram and Facebook to keep the conversation going as we continue to find joy in the journey. Until next time, I am cheering for you, friend. Keep climbing and we'll chat soon.